0: The scripture reading today um, comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 49. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Amaz, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? But he had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Excuse me. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself And the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is a portion of God's holy word for today.
1: All right, well, uh, today we are finishing up our series in the Gospel of Luke. It's been a full year. Uh, we've seen Jesus enter into the world, right, as an infant. Um, we've seen him die for our sins. We've seen him rise. And today's story tells us Jesus' first acts as a rec- resurrected person. And uh, let's, just, let's just say this was you. You know, you were, uh, you were in a coma, maybe, and, and you got your life back. Um, you woke up what would be the first thing that you would do whatever it is uh, that you would do would reveal your passions and priorities right Um, if you woke up and the first thing you did was call little caesars uh, then that means you really really like pizza right if you go and hug your spouse and kids that tells something about you if you go straight back to work open up your laptop and start answering emails that tells us something very very sad about you right very tragic but this question is answered today for us by Jesus and today we're going to see what he did the first thing he did what did he do after he died and so uh, the two things we're going to look at in our passage is one the problem and then two, the solution very simple right what's the problem Uh, What is the problem that Jesus needs to fix, and how does he do it? What's the solution? So those are the two things. Now, it's the morning of Jesus' resurrection. And some of Jesus' followers, and I love it, they give it the name Cleopas. Cleopas and his friend, they're on their way from uh, Jerusalem, and they're having a conversation. And then Jesus comes up behind them like a black ops ninja, right? He's like, what are you guys talking about? And it reads here in Luke 24, verse 17 to 18. Sorry, those are the automatic lights. Uh, we will uh, get those addressed soon. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. It reads, um, if you, if you want to volunteer at a church and uh, you want to help out with lights, uh, we got the perfect job for you, all right? No experience needed. All right. All um, right. Luke 24, 17 says, they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? I love it here. uh, Jesus obviously knows what has happened. But he's asking them, right, uh, what are you guys talking about? Now, why is that important? There's tremendous wisdom there. Because if you have ever taught anything, if you need to teach anything you know that the first thing you need to know is what do my students know what do my students don't know what do they care about what's pressing on their heart so you need to find out what is causing them confusion distress So that's what jesus is doing and then they respond essentially we're having a total meltdown here you know everything is falling apart Imagine Jesus, oh, this guy was crucified, oh man, you know, my scars, oh, that's, that's from a past injury, right? Jesus is playing along here with, with spiritual children, uh, that's what we do with our kids. Uh, it's hard for them to understand, so we play along with them until they're ready to understand, ready to be taught. They mentioned the empty tomb. And all the witnesses that are saying that Jesus is resurrected and alive, but for some reason, they're still sad. They should be ecstatic, but they're not. They're downcast. They're dead in their tracks. Why? What's the problem? Well, there are two problems. First, uh, Cleopas is looking at life. Uh, He is living life without a resurrection. Cleopas is looking at Jesus' death. He's looking at his own life. And as far as he could tell, death, sin, suffering, defeat has won again. I'm sure you know how he feels. Again, his expectations have been dashed. Again, he has been let down by someone who told him that he was going to be there for him. Again, he is disappointed. And friends, this lets us know that anyone who thinks and looks and discusses life and the brokenness of life and the reality, reality of life without resurrection, without hope, anybody who says there's no resurrection, there's no uh, restoration, there's no reconciliation, uh, brokenness and regret and conflict and suffering and sin and death, that's it. Then like Cleopas... Uh, you too will go into despair. If you're unwilling to look at the resurrection, if you're unwilling to apply the resurrection into your life, then, then church, you will go into despair too. When anything tough happens in your life, when there is tremendous adversity in your life, when there's even death in your life, you'll stop dead in your tracks. May, uh, May, he's a pretty well-known psychiatrist. He wrote a book called The Quest for Beauty. And in it, he talks about, you know, he's not really religious. He's like, I'm not a religious person, but I'm looking for beauty. And he defines beauty not just as aesthetic beauty. He's looking for beauty as in fulfillment and contentment and wonder and perfection. That's what he's thinking about. And and he's in Greece, and and one morning he says, you know, I'm not religious, but I decide to go to an Easter service because everything is closed, and, and everyone in in Greece goes to Easter on Easter morning, and so he decides to go in and see what the natives are doing, study the local religion, uh, talk to some natives, and and so he went down, uh, he went to a, a church, and he sits down. At the, at the very end of the Easter service, the priest gets up and he says, the Lord is risen, and the entire congregation, they say, he is risen. Indeed, He is risen indeed. And, and Rolo writes that he I said it too. He said it too. He said the Lord is risen indeed. And, and this is what he writes in his book. He says, suddenly I was seized by a moment of spiritual reality. And I thought to myself, what would it mean for our world if Jesus indeed was risen? If death was not the end. Profound. You see, here is a truly honest person. Uh, he is not willing to ignore reality and the shortcomings of it. And he wants the resurrection to be true. But he hasn't embraced it yet. And similarly, anybody who, like Rolo, looks at life without resurrection, friends, we will go into despair too. Because life without a resurrection is ensnared by sin and death, disappointment, and defeat. So that's the first reason why uh, Cleopas is downcast is because he is looking at life without a resurrection. I remember uh, one time, um, you know, when I was a youth pastor uh, and this kid uh, was going through some really difficult things with uh, you know he was just disappointed in his grades right grand scheme of things not much but when you're a kid it's a lot and I remember my youth teacher would just come up to him and he would just say hey the tomb is empty the tomb is empty like, what's that mean <laughs> because what's that mean what's that mean I still got a d right and so he he, he doesn't understand right like look this is not the end you got to keep believing Right? The D is not the end. The, 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 the tomb, death, disappointment, defeat, loss is not the end. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Resurrection is alive. Right? God is bringing about life and death. So that's the first thing. The second thing we see here uh, is that Luke says that they were kept from recognizing who this person was. This person was Jesus. They couldn't see that it was Jesus. Right? I think that's us, too. Sometimes maybe we come here or sometimes we're talking with someone and, and they're trying to encourage us. And we can't see that Jesus in this is in the midst of us. We can't recognize the reality of his word. And so this verse indicates that there is some kind of spiritual blindness that happens when we look at life without a resurrection. Some spiritual blindness. Two people can encounter the same thing but look at it differently. One is spiritually blind. The other one is spiritually uh, seeing. And and I think that for some of us here, uh, we're in the very same condition as Cleopas. Um, Maybe there is something that we're going through right now, a situation. Um, Maybe there is some relational conflict. Maybe there is some inner turmoil. And Jesus is in our life right now, but we, we cannot recognize him. And so we are downcast. But Jesus is there. Instead, we're saying, where is God? Because if God was here, he would fix this. Right? If God was here, um, uh, my life wouldn't look like this. All of God's promises are coming up empty. Just like Cleopas. Why can't we see him? Well, there are two reasons. First, Jesus is, is in the ordinary. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. Look at our text here. Jesus is just walking alongside them, right? No bright shining lights, no voice from heaven. And Cleopas is thinking, if Jesus was resurrected, um, he's not going to ask me how I'm doing in the worst week of my life, right? He wouldn't do that. And don't you hate when people do that? When you're having a terrible season and they go, hey, how are you doing? Like, I'm doing terrible, man. <laughs> it's freaking terrible. <laughs> But you know what? Jesus is the one who asks those questions. Why? It's not because he does not know what you're going through. Is he? because he knows you need to process that in a very safe and wise and, and powerful place. Right? He is the one who's going to ask you those questions, and he's not going to look at his watch or look at his phone. He's going to stay there, and he's going to listen, and he's going to hear you vent all of it out like Cleopas. He wants to know what's pressing on you, and he wants to flesh this out through a dialogue. I mean, just read the Psalms. You know, I know. Um, you know, in our culture, we're not a very emotional culture. You know, we're just like pull our our our, our ourselves up by the bootstraps. You know, suck it up. You know, get her done. But honestly, the, that's not really biblical. I mean, there there isn't there is time and and there is a uh, reason for perseverance and resilience. And commitment and faithfulness, that's a huge spiritual fruit and character. But there is this side of, of, of ourselves that God has created that is beautiful, and that is our emotional depth. We are emotional beings. Actually, um, Christian Smith writes that we're more emotional beings than logical beings, and I think that's true. Um, we pursue more what we want than more, that more what than, than more that we think is right. I think that's, that's true. So Jesus wants to work all of this out. He wants to untangle our emotions because that's how we move on. You can never move on if you haven't processed your pain and your suffering and your questions and your emotions. You have to do that, right? And, and so it's not just important um, that we talk to our friends or, or see some professional counseling, but it's also very important to, 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 to do that with Jesus, you know? And sometimes you've got to do it verbally. Sometimes you just got to do it. But we miss Jesus in this ordinary. We want something more impressive than that, right? Like you're like, oh, that's not. that doesn't seem like it's going to work for me, Rich. We're waiting maybe from a voice from heaven, some existential emotional experience, whether it's when we become a Christian or even when we are a Christian, we're expecting something extraordinary. But here's the thing, one out of every 100 Christians actually have this kind of dramatic experience, um, and and they're always the ones that we ask to share their testimony, you know? Um, Have you ever heard of a testimony where someone comes up there and goes, yeah, you know, my dad, um, he was a pastor, and, you know, I I didn't really, you know, really go to church, and then eventually, you know, the penny dropped, you know? Those usually aren't the stories. Our, Our culture values the dramatic. That's why we love reality TV shows. But the reality is that, honestly, Jesus works more so in the ordinary. So let me tell you what it's like for the 99 of us who don't have a dramatic experience. What happens in verses 25 to 27? What does Jesus do? He begins a Bible study. <laughs> That's what he does. Well, first, he, he calls them fools. Um, it's a very interesting way to open up a Bible study. Um, But it's Jesus, so he gets a pass. You know, Uh, CG leaders, let me know how that goes. Uh, Try it. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe you'll you'll get some um, good feedback. Um, But Jesus, after that, after he calls them fools, (laughs) he begins to teach them. He starts to give a Bible study, starting with Moses, then the prophets, and then the rest of the scriptures. I mean, do you see how ordinary this is? You know? There are no bright lights. There's no loud voice. There's no magical change in their circumstances. Jesus just gives them an ordinary Bible study, you know? And then through this Bible study, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, and their hearts begin to ignite, and the Spirit begins to teach them. So they're like, oh, man, this is, this is really cool. I didn't think this Bible study was going to be cool, but it is. Right? And then they're like, Jesus, come, come, come hang out with us. Come into our home. And, and then so they sit down and they eat a meal together. And Jesus teaches them more. And they begin to ask them more questions. And they begin to dive more and more deeper into the word. And then their eyes are finally opened. And church, that's, that's how it is. That's how Jesus works his resurrection about in our lives. Jesus is just in your life in the ordinary. It's surprising. It's shocking. Yeah, he's he's with you when you're on the toilet. He's walking with you every step of the way. He's nudging you. He's trying to talk to you. and He's trying to get your attention. He wants you to ask him to stay. So I know that for many of us in our lives, there, there is probably a certain situation, something that is causing you trouble, causing you anxiety, causing you fear, that can have the power to make you downcast in a second's notice. And when that happens, it's easy to think it's the end. But Jesus wants to, in that moment, he wants to ignite your heart. Not change your circumstances, right? Jesus didn't come to give us a perfect life. He came to give us redemption through the brokenness in our lives. And this only happens, friends, as you walk and talk with Jesus through his word. So that's the first reason why Cleopas couldn't see Jesus, is because he thought that Jesus was going to act in this extraordinary, dramatic experience, but Jesus always, always, he acts in the ordinary. Now, the second reason why Cleopas and his friend were blind to Jesus was because They did not know how deeply they needed to be personally and spiritually redeemed. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 20 with me. It's on the screen, and this is what it says. The disciples, or Cleopas, says, Our chief priests and rulers delivered Jesus, or this person, up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Cleopas is saying, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. Now, Israel, he's talking about the nation, the political country. He's saying, we thought he was going to deliver us from the Romans. We thought he was going to give us political independence. We thought he was going to make our lives better, but instead he didn't. He died, and all our hopes are dashed. That's what the word redeem means originally. It means to redeem people from oppression. That's what what it means. It's first mention is when God wants to redeem Israel from Egypt. In the same way, Cleopas is like, man, I thought God was going to redeem us from the Romans just like he redeemed Israel from Egypt. So what's going on here? Well, Cleopas thinks that the only oppression he needs to be freed from is political oppression. That's what he thinks. My biggest problem, right, is a governmental problem. So what what he's saying is, if that could be fixed, then everything would be perfect. Now, in no way does the Bible downplay political oppression, right? The Bible actually condemns it, and we should pray and work towards compassion and justice. And as significant as that is, though, as serious, and it is very serious, the Bible teaches us that when it comes to the church, Jesus Christ came to deliver us from the root cause of political oppression. What is the root cause of political oppression? What is the root cause that is driving conflict? The root cause is sin. The root cause is sin that spiritually oppresses us deep in our hearts. That causes us to oppress others. And Jesus came to release us, to redeem us from that spiritual, inner, deeper oppression. You see? Let's work through um, just like a very concrete, clear example of oppression. And then I'm going to bring it back to spiritual oppression. Let's, through, let's think through maybe something like addiction. Okay? Addiction to maybe alcohol, maybe drugs. Um, The research says that it starts when you have an emptiness in your life, and you need to be lifted up, a uh, transcendence from the emotions of depression and discontentment. So you use the drug, and for a while it helps, but the next thing you know, there's this thing called a tolerance factor. The tolerance factor means that after a while, the same amount that once delivered a high, a sense of transcendence and euphoria the ability to handle the emptiness uh, it no longer delivers that so you need a bigger high you have to get more of it in order to get the same high you had before and so the tolerance effect makes you want more and more and eventually what happens is the very thing that you thought was going to relieve the stress is now beginning to cause the stress Originally, maybe one drinks in order to relieve stress, but now the drinking is causing the stress. It's causing all sorts of problems. So when the thing you use to relieve the stress is the cause of the stress now, what, what's happened? You're oppressed. You're trapped. You're spiraling down. You're going to crash, and, and you need redemption. You need freedom. So the Bible talks about how all sin is like that. And maybe it's not as physically destructive and apparent on the outside, but sin is uh, just as all sin is just as spiritually destructive. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's the need to have control or your job or money. At first you think you need it. And then eventually it has you by the neck. You're oppressed. And the truth is, you don't need more of it. No, you need to be freed from it. You need spiritual freedom. A good example of this in the Bible is Mary Magdalene. Right, according to all the Gospels, Mary was the person who never left Jesus' side. She was loyal to the end. When all the disciples left him and And even when he was being crucified, Mary was the only one that was there. She did not care what other people would think about her or what they would have done to her. And in the beginning of Luke chapter 24, she's actually one of the first people to see Jesus. And to tell the disciples that he is alive, that he has resurrected. Why? Why? Well, you see, Mary was oppressed by evil spirits, if you read the Gospels, when she met Jesus. And Jesus had freed her from that darkness. And I think the reason that we see Mary Magdalene's are the first people to understand the resurrection, the reason why there is a joy in their lives, the reason why there's a passion, the reason why God sends them and uses them is because I think Mary's, they have an oppression that is very apparent. It was very clear that Mary was oppressed. She was oppressed by evil spirits. And so it was very clear that she was a different person before and after she met Jesus. Her spiritual oppression and redemption was unmistakable. Uh, the trouble is, it's the Cleopas's. That's where most of us are. It's not really apparent that we're oppressed. You know? We clean ourselves up pretty nice on the outside. Our, our oppression is not necessarily open to everyone publicly. It's more on the inside. Our sin is mostly behind closed doors. It's in the mind. It's in the heart. And that's why Cleopas and his friend are, are lagging behind. Because most of us, we're not Mary Magdalene running to tell people about the resurrection, most of us are Cleopas. On the road to Emmaus, walking around downcast in despair because we don't know that maybe we don't need some kind of freedom from any kind of outward oppression, we don't understand that what is more important is the spiritual oppression on the inside. And So even though we look normal, the way we respond to brokenness and defeat and sin and suffering and death is like Cleopas. As, as if there is no such thing as freedom and deliverance from our defeat. I think most of us originally come to the faith this way, though I think we start out like Cleopas, right? We think we need God to change something in our lives so we start coming out to church. Maybe, maybe originally you started coming out because you were afraid that you were going to lose your job or you need help in your marriage or you're looking for motivation and inspiration and hope with all the things that you've got to deal with. But what you're saying, friends, is really, Jesus, I want you to change my circumstances. That's why I'm here. And so maybe we're not coming as a sinner or sufferer that needs personal redemption, but we're coming to Jesus as a consumer that wants him to give us things. You see the difference? Maybe originally we come saying, Jesus, if I just had a change of circumstances, that, that's really where my oppression is. But the problem is that, friends, we, we need freedom deep down in our heart. That, that's where our oppression is. Does it ever occur to you that maybe your career or your control in your marriage or whatever you think is need, is the very thing that is oppressing you? Instead, we have to realize until Jesus becomes more important to me than my work, more important to me than my marriage, more important to me than my anxieties and fears, whatever it is that we think we need, it will strangle us. So we got to come to Jesus saying, Lord, I need deep spiritual redemption. Or we'll make the same mistake like Cleopas. When we see the cross when we see Jesus dying, and when we see Jesus asking us to believe in him for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life, we'll say, I don't understand. What's that about? That's not why I'm here. You're going to say, people say Jesus is resurrected, but why can't he just help me out with this? I thought he was the one to redeem. Cleopas said he was crucified, but we thought he would redeem. And so, friends, until we see the depth of our spiritual need, that it all is in here, we're going to say the same thing. We don't realize that we need to be redeemed from something deeper. Something deeper. Brings us to the last point, the solution. How does that redemption occur? How is Cleopas healed? Cleopas and his friends or his friend, are discouraged because they're looking at life without a resurrection. They're discouraged because they can't see Jesus in the ordinary. They're discouraged because they don't see their need for a redeemer. So what does Jesus do? We talked about this. He opens the scriptures. That's the first thing he does. In verse 27, it says this. uh, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then afterwards, the disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us? Didn't our hearts kindle within us as he opened the scriptures? How amazing is that, right? Rome is still ruling them. Israel is still uh, uh, a servant nation to Rome, but, but Cleopas is changing. He sees freedom. He sees redemption and purpose. And so the key is that we can have the grid pulled from our eyes. We can be pulled out of this spiritual funk. We can be pulled out of our despair if we are willing to go to the scriptures. Nothing spectacular. Now, when they go to the scripture, it's just not just, you know, knowledge, Bible reading. It's not like I need to get it done and God's going to help me. No, Luke says that their hearts were kindling because Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, the things concerning himself. You see, Cleopas knew the Bible very well, but he had never read it with the interpretive key that all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it was about Jesus. What do I mean by that? Let's take the story of David. Let's take an example here. Test case, right? David goes up, goes up against Goliath. He gets up there, he slings the stone of Goliath, the guy that the Philistines that want to oppress Israel. Goliath dies, Israel wins, they're still free. What's the moral? The moral is then maybe if you believe in God, he's on your side and you can overcome anything. Who's the focus? You're the focus, right? It's about you and your problem. And if you believe in God, he will fix your problem. At the end of David's life, he gets proud, and it all comes tumbling down. And if you read that part of the Bible, what's the moral there? Pride comes before the fall. But it's still about you, isn't it? Don't be proud. Be humble. It's about you. And so at first, reading the Bible like this, uh, reading the Bible as a way to fix your problems, a way for God to help your problems, it will give you some inspiration at first, at first. But if you think about it more, eventually it will crush you into powder. Because no one can, can live up to that. Everyone is going to make a mistake. There are so many things you have no control over. And so you'll say, the Bible isn't really true. It's just, it's like a Disney movie. Sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't. But what Jesus is saying is this, instead. He's saying David is a good example to learn from, sure. But listen, I am the greater David. David won military battles. He was a bad man. But I have won the ultimate battle. The battle over death. David had some wisdom, but I am wisdom itself unmistakable, fully trustworthy. David was a king. But I am a king of kings and the servant of servants. You'll never find a king like me. I am the prophet of all prophets. I'm the temple of all temples. I am the priest of all priests. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying every single part of the Bible is not meant to be used to help you, you know, get what you want in life. No, every single part of the Bible is to help you see that I am God and I am sovereign and, am I, and I am in control of Every every aspect, every broken corner of your life and you don't see it. The, 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 the solution is not to eliminate problems from your life. The solution is to see my greater will to bring about redemption from conflict. Jesus did not prevent the cross He used the cross to bring about life and forgiveness and grace. And I know that this is hard because in our culture, we live in a very preventative culture. How can we prevent our lives? How can we have plan A, B, C, D, E, and F? And we are unwilling to see that there is a spiritual purpose here. Right? Even a conflict, God has purpose. What is a conflict for? It's for forgiveness and grace, right? friends, only when you're reading scripture like that, only when you see that the Bible is all about Jesus, and to the degree you see that, then your heart will ignite. Jesus is saying, let me open up the scripture for you. And I want you to see me. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Gracious God, We come before you here in this solemn place. And by the power of your spirit, as we come to your scriptures and you open up the word to us, we see, we see. We see a God who is on the throne. We see a God who loves us. We see a God who has provided us perfect security. And that this life here, the short time we have here is a blip. You call it a breath. Compared to forever. And your purpose is to use our life, is to use our brains, is to use our hearts and our wills and our hands and our feet to bring about spiritual redemption in this world so that souls could be saved so that people can know that this life is a blip and that they can experience eternity. Life after death. And that they would experience it even now. The power of your resurrection to bring about the brokenness in our lives. Not to control it. Not to eliminate it. Not to dwell upon it. Not to ruminate over it. But to trust that what Satan means for evil, you shall work for good. How do we know? Because when we look at the cross, we see the sin of humanity putting to death the most beautiful, perfect, and righteous human being. And that which was evil, you worked to trust in you to submit to your kingship even when it's hard we ask this in your name